Welcome, and thanks for listening to the Harvest Lakeshore Sermon Podcast. For more information about us, visit harvestlakeshore.org. Today's reading will be from Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, through chapter 5, verse 2. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they followed their nets. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and from Jerusalem and Judea, and from beyond the Jordan. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, And this is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you, Alex. Uh, in, in getting ready for Sunday, Alex texted me and he said, um, am I supposed to like end like halfway through a sentence? Like, are you sure? Did someone get this wrong? I said, no, no, it's, it's okay. Because we are starting a new series uh, as we are going to be studying the Sermon on the Mount for the next season. But we're not gonna start with the Sermon on the Mount as we start the series. We wanna look at the context first. So it's kind of a teaser. We walked right up to the door, but we will jump into that sermon next week, but it's helpful for us to understand the context of the Sermon on the Mount, because oftentimes folks just kind of start with the various commands of the Sermon on the Mount. There's like 50 commands in the Sermon on the Mount, and like all these different things that we have to do, but we need to understand the context. What is that sermon pointing us Two, what is it really about? And that will help us as we engage with the truth there. And we find out what this sermon is about as we start in verse 17, which says, from that time, Jesus began to preach saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This sermon on the mount is about life in the kingdom. And Jesus is teaching his disciples and engaging with them to rethink their lives in a different way. Don't continue what you were doing, but rethink how you do things. Rethink every aspect of your life. That's why the title of our series is called Rethink, Pointing Your Heart Towards God's Kingdom. Because 
as he came, as we've studied about his incarnation and the disciples respond to him, they're thinking he's going to come and usher in an earthly kingdom. They think that he's going to rule, he's going to uh, remove the Roman rulers, going to stop the earthly oppression that's going on. And Jesus wants them to think differently and have their hearts directed differently. And that's what we want to do as a church. We want to direct our hearts towards the kingdom. But before we jump into the context surrounding our text this morning, let's pray. Father, we need your help. We need your help to rightly understand this crucial message that Jesus preached, but more importantly, that he lived, that he displayed. It wasn't just one message, but he taught these truths again and again as he lived out the values of the kingdom. And I pray that you would help us, Lord, that we would rethink how we live in light of the kingdom, and that we would do it in the power of your spirit. So we ask, God, that you'd lead us, that you'd fill us with your spirit, in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Well, as we come to our text this morning, remember we left off a few weeks ago in chapter 2, where the wise men uh, went home a different way, and Mary and Joseph, they uh, go and, and they go to Egypt and to flee what Herod was doing, killing the firstborn sons, and they return to Nazareth. And then uh, Matthew, as he's sharing this story, as he's sharing this gospel, he skips over like 28 years of Jesus' life, ballpark of, of time frame, just from chapter two to chapter three, and John the Baptist comes on the scene, and then and Jesus is baptized, and then Jesus goes into the wilderness, and he fasts and, and spends time with the Lord, and then he's tempted by Satan when he comes out of the wilderness, and then his ministry begins, and he withdrew into Galilee, and he goes to Nazareth, and he's going to Capernaum, and he's going all around. In fact, I think we have an image of that, uh, of Jesus' ministry, of where he was ministering all around. And I know you can't see it, uh, it's kind of small, uh, but you know, his, his ministry was probably a 50-mile radius or so, which doesn't sound like a lot to us, but when you walked everywhere, that was significant. And so his ministry is happening, and he's preaching this message, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And so this morning, we're going to talk about the kingdom, and we're going to answer three questions. How do we enter God's kingdom? How do we remain in God's kingdom and obtain favor? And how are we respond to this call about the kingdom. Let's understand, before we answer the question, how do we enter the kingdom? What is the kingdom? Is it this kind of mystical place that we can't, really can't see? Is it in heaven? It's kind of both, and it's, it's both the kingdom that we are going to be a part of when we're in eternity with Christ, but it's also he brings the kingdom here. The kingdom values happen here, but it's not it's not a place where you are going to get a passport for the kingdom so that you can go into other countries because this kingdom has a particular geographic location. This, this kingdom doesn't have a geographic location. This kingdom is one that we are first citizens of before we are citizens of any other country or 
kingdom. This is the kingdom that we have our ultimate allegiance to. And so how do we become part of this kingdom? Well, how we become part of this kingdom is right here with what Jesus says. He says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. We repent and trust in Jesus. Mark, in his gospel, he has accounts for what Jesus says, repent and believe in the gospel. So part of coming to Christ is we repent. We turn from sin and we believe in Christ. We believe that he went to the cross to pay the penalty for our sins and we become Christians. We enter the kingdom that way. That's how we enter the kingdom is through the blood of Jesus. But we need to understand what, what is repentance? What does that mean? Because oftentimes we hear the word repent and believe. We just think it's some kind of a verbal thing that we say. Well, I believe in the things that Jesus taught about. I mean, I read an article uh, recently about the richest man in the world and how he was interacting uh, with someone about Jesus. And he was like, yeah, I believe in Jesus' teachings, he taught some great things. In fact, he even mentioned a few of the things that we're going to cover in the Sermon on the Mount. He thought, yeah, I think these are really good things. Yeah, I can believe in Jesus. Now, I don't know his heart. I didn't have the conversation. But the fruit of his life doesn't seem to indicate that he has repented. He believes things about Jesus and things that Jesus taught as good moral teachings, but what does it mean to actually repent? I think there's three words that are helpful to understand when, we, when we're talking about biblical repentance, because Jesus says this, John the Baptist says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Here are the three words, confession, contrition, and conversion. So con confession, part of repentance involves taking responsibility for your sin. Just acknowledging with words is enough, but we take responsibility. Throughout Scripture, we see the call for God's people to take responsibility for their sins. And we take that responsibility by going before the Lord and confessing, Lord, I have sinned in this way. Like even naming it, like I, I'm gonna own it. But there's also a, a sorrow over that sin, a contrition. Repentance involves a, a sorrow, a deep realization that we have sinned against a holy God. David, in Psalm 51, kind of expressed this after he'd been confronted by Nathan the prophet, after he had killed a man after he had slept with that man's wife and gotten her pregnant, David, David realizes he sinned against the Lord. And he says this in Psalm 51. He says, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. He doesn't just quickly run past it. He's, he's halted in his steps and, and he's grieved over what he has done. 2 Corinthians 7.10 talks about this godly grief produces repentance. So this, this godly grief needs to happen over our sin to come to Christ. 
And then thirdly, conversion. Repentance involves turning from sin. The word repent means converted. It means to change, to be changed, turning in a different direction. I'm going in this direction, and I'm turning, and I'm going another direction. Now, Jesus didn't have to repent. Jesus never sinned. But Jesus did pursue righteousness. He's pursued righteousness with his whole life. And that's the accent for us. Certainly, we, when we come to Christ, we need to acknowledge our sin. We need to be grieved over our sin. We need to ask forgiveness for our sin. We want to turn from our sin. But the thing we want to focus most on is not the turning from sin, but the turning to Christ. And as we look to Christ, we can pursue righteousness. So let's rightly understand repentance. It's not like a constant beatdown about our sin and our failures. No, it's turning to Christ, seeing him for who he is and for what he has done. Because as Romans 5 tells us, we have been justified by faith. When we, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into his grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. So friends, we need to take serious. When you come to come into the kingdom, you must be aware you've sinned against God. You need to repent and believe in the Lord Jesus. So if you've never trusted in Christ, you can do that this morning. It's not meant for you to feel bad. It's meant for you to know that there is a holy God, and we should feel that way, but we must quickly run to the cross and know that we're forgiven of our sins when we confess and we repent. And as Christians, we need to take seriously our sin in an age where sin is celebrated. We live in an age where the things that are wrong are being praised as right. In an age like that, it's very easy for us to actually get comfortable with subtle sins because we look at the person next to us or the person that we work with and we think, I'm not like that. I'm fine. But we must rethink this category of, of repentance. We don't have to continue to, in the sense, we don't have to continue to ask Jesus to forgive us of our sins, like, uh, just so that we can stay in the kingdom. No, we, when we repent and we believe in the Lord Jesus, we are part of the kingdom. But yet, part of our lives is one of confession, because we aren't yet in the presence of Jesus. Things aren't perfect. At least they're not in my house. They're not. We have not arrived in the presence of Christ. So we need to have this be a functional part of our life. Confession is a functional part of our life, and it's a good thing because it's meant for us to be aware of our need so that we can see the one who met that need, and his name is Jesus. So we repent and believe, and we want to build a culture of confession in our homes and in our church. So we, that's how we get in the kingdom. We repent and believe. That's how you get in the kingdom. How do you stay in the kingdom? How do we remain in the kingdom? And how do we get God's favor? Do we have to keep doing things to keep God's favor? Well, this is, here's, let's look at the text of what, what happens. 
Jesus, right before the Sermon on the Mount, he is, in verse 23, he's going throughout all Galilee, he's teaching in synagogues, he's proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, he's healing every disease, every affliction among the people, he's doing all these amazing works. <coughs> to stay in the kingdom, it's not something that you do. We stay in the kingdom because of what Jesus has done. If you've trusted in Christ, you are secure in him because of what he has done. So even before Jesus talks about and shares the Sermon on the Mount, he's doing great works. His fame is being spread throughout all Syria and beyond. He's healing all those. They're bringing people from far off places. It's highlighting the work of Christ. And then he preaches this sermon with five, chapters 5, 6, and 7. And then if you look at the end of the, the sermon, they see he's teaching as one who had authority. He's different than the scribes that they had heard teach the Bible before. And then there's a bunch of chapters of Jesus doing more amazing works. He heals more people. He casts out demons. He calms a storm. And he calls many to follow him. So what do we do to stay in the kingdom? Nothing. Because it's what Christ has done. When you trust, when you repent and believe, you are found in him. For the longest time in my Christian life, particularly early on, I thought I had to do stuff to continue to get God's favor. I had to do my devotions in the morning. I had, to, I had to check off all the boxes in my Bible reading plan. I had to pray this many minutes. I had to do this many things because if I didn't do those kinds of things, then God wouldn't like me. And so there's the temptation to jump into the Sermon on the Mount and be like, okay, I gotta do these things or Jesus isn't gonna like me. That's not why he preached the sermon. Preached to talk about what it looks like to be in the kingdom. And he lived out the values of the kingdom before his disciples. It's not for us to go and say, okay, i got to do all these things now for God to like me. No. We are found in Christ if we have repented and believed, if we have trusted in Christ. It's his works that we rejoice in. John 10, 25 so Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. All these works bear witness about Jesus. But you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. But my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. It's not talking about all the things that, that we have to do. No. What, what identifies the sheep? What, we hear his voice. We hear his voice. The accent is on the thing that Jesus is doing. He's the one that is speaking. We're the ones that are listening. When we hear his voice, we, we know the spirit of God is in us and we are found in him. We don't have to do something to be a part of the family. We simply listen because we are already part of the family. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father 
who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. What an amazing truth that is. So as we engage with the truth of the Sermon on the Mount, don't let the enemy come by and try to lie to you and be like, yeah, you're not doing that. You're not in. You're not in. Don't forget, Jesus is teaching the sermon to his disciples who clearly had lots of work to do as we read through the rest of the Gospel of Matthew and all the other Gospels. They didn't like hear this gospel, hear this message and be like, yep, we've changed everything. Everything is good. I mean, he told Peter, get behind me, Satan. I've not, I've, I've been corrected before, but no one's ever corrected me like that. So it wasn't about them becoming perfect or seeking perfection. Because when we are found in Christ, that's what keeps us in. He keeps us in. He preserves us. He causes us to endure. Rest in that good news about the kingdom. Rejoice in the fact that Christ has chosen you and he causes you to remain. And he's the source of God's favor in our lives. The great exchange happens when we trust in Christ. We get the favor of God that he deserved, and he took upon himself the punishment that we deserved. So what do we do to remain in the kingdom? We just rejoice, because we don't have to do anything. So how do we respond to all of this? We respond by delighting in the king. Delighting in the king. Because I think that's what was happening with the disciples. And often even when we come to this part of the passage in verses 18 to 22, the emphasis is on the, the sacrifice that you must make. Well, follow me. They left everything to follow him, and they certainly did. He's walking by the sea. He sees two brothers, Simon and Peter, Andrew, his brother, casting a, a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And immediately they left Everything. They left their nets and they followed him. And then the, the message can go on. Well, okay, you've got to leave all this thing and all the things that you have to do. But we, we need to stop for a second. Remember who the, who's talking. Who's the first one that left everything? It's not the disciples. It's Jesus. That's what we talked about in the month of December. He left his rightful place in heaven to come and dwell among us. He submitted himself to being a part of this frail human body and went to the cross. So we look to Christ. In First, we even look to him as the one who left everything. We don't look first to the disciples. We look first to Christ. And yes, we should be willing to leave everything for the king. But often too much is, is emphasized on our willingness and too little is emphasized on focusing on the king. Follow, follow me. The statement follow me wasn't something they had to muster. It was the obvious decision. These weren't irrational individuals. They are fishermen. They are hard-working guys. Long days, you know, they weren't, they weren't out in the sea wearing life vests and a 
comfy boat, right, with sonar, just finding the right stuff. No, they were out there. They had to work hard. They lived, they lived paycheck to paycheck, as it were. They, they got stuff. They, they fed their families. They, they were just used to working. There wasn't a lightweight thing, decision that they made. Why did guys who lived paycheck to paycheck walk away from the only job that they knew? Who, who does that? Someone who has encountered Christ. They encountered Christ. They literally saw him for who he was. There was something so amazing about him that they would just walk away and they would follow Jesus with no certainties about what the next thing was going to be. They were captivated by the king. And friends, when we are captivated by the king, we're going to live with an urgency when we're captivated by the king. It doesn't start with the things that we do. It starts with Jesus when we're captivated by the king. In Matthew 13, Matthew talks about this value of the kingdom and what happens. He, in verses 44 to 46, he says, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has to buy the field. You think if, the, if there's just some guy that sells everything he has and buys a field, you're going to think he's absolutely nuts. Who does that? I'm not going to follow that example. But if you know there's a treasure in the field, of course you're going to buy the field. And he goes on. He says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had, and he bought it. So yes, there's a cost to following Christ. But why do we encourage why do we incur that cost? Why do we give that up? Because we see the pearl of great price. We see the king of kings. We observe who he is. Because it's not convenient to follow Jesus. Even in our text, right? Seeing the crowds, he goes up on the mountain. The disciples have to follow him up the mountain. Jesus could have just started right there and had a bunch of people listening. No, it didn't make it easy. There, there's work that we have to do. There's sacrifices that have to be made. But Jesus taught those who were hungry and committed to the mission, not those who were perfect and had it all together. But he taught those who were hungry and they wanted to know him. So don't look at your life and think, okay, I've got to get it all figured out. I have to put on this face. No, just, just come hungry. We're going to learn next week, he satisfies those who are hungry, but we're not going to get there yet. Following Jesus isn't drudgery. It flows out of knowing who he is and what he has done. We, we, we give Jesus the blank check of our life. Like if you have a checkbook, uh, you know, some of you don't even know what this is because you've never have had to write one in your life. These little pieces of paper that if you if you write somebody's name on it and you write an amount in there uh, and you sign it, then uh, money comes out of your bank account and hopefully you have enough money in that bank account uh, and, and you give it. But one thing that would be absolutely crazy to do is if you have a check and you sign your name to the check and you leave it blank. 
And all you do is you write the person's name, Jesus. But you leave the amount there, you tear it out, and you give it to him. Now, who, who are you going to give a check to in your life like that? Like, is there anyone you know, you're just like, yeah, I'm going to fill out their name, I'm going to sign it. I'm just going to be like, yeah, here you go. You, you fill out the amount. You know, I thought long and hard. Like, who, who would I trust to do that? Even in our church, like, who, who can I just give this to and just like walk away? And I'm just kind of like, you got to really trust somebody to give them a blank check. And what did the disciples do? They're just like, they can't write it fast enough. And they hand it. Why? Because they got a picture of Christ. They got a picture of his wonder. They encountered an aroma that they had never seen before. Someone who was kind and gracious, but yet could say hard things. Maybe there's somebody in your life that's confronted you before about something that's really hard, but it felt like they were hugging you, and you were like, this is just an odd thing. How in the world do I just feel like they just hugged me, but they just corrected me about something? Jesus did that to the disciples all the time. There was something amazing about Jesus because he was Jesus, the Savior of the world. He was completely imbibing the values of the kingdom, and so we're going to give the blank check because we know from Luke 18, where Jesus said, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. He's someone we can trust. So how do we stay captivated by the king? We stay captivated by the king. Because we certainly, we, when you come to Christ, and many of you have experienced that, you're here this morning because at some point you decided to repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. But then as we live with him, we feel the, the struggles of life and the trials of life and the waves, and they come and they feel like they're going to knock us over. And we know it's true. There's not something we have to do to stay in the kingdom. He keeps us in the kingdom. But how do we stay delighting in him? I think we stay delighting in him by sitting at his feet because Jesus in verse 1 of chapter 5 says, seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. They came and they sat at his feet. Remember who's talking. It's a picture. As we study this Sermon on the Mount, it's a picture of the Savior who he's seated. It's a conversation. He's talking about truths that are there. It was likely a lot longer than what we read here. But there's relationship, and they're listening to him. He's not Bible-thumping them. They're listening to him. And that's the picture of abiding. Like we sang the song this morning, that, that new song that we sang. I love that song. 
I've been wanting to sing that song for a little while now. It was just the right time for us to start to learn that song because Jesus said this in John 15, Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. The accent on that text and here is, is on abiding not doing. It's on abiding. As we abide, God works things out in us. God works out the doing in us as we prioritize the abiding. When we spend time with Jesus, it's less about what I do and more about just being in his presence. And when you are in his presence, he, he gets stuff done in you. I don't, I don't fully understand how that works because I'm a doer. I like to do things. I like to get things done. So sitting is not my inclination. Being sick the week after Christmas was not something I was fired up about. Laying on the couch, not having the ability to think was not delighting to me. But those who love me in my life were like, oh, I think this is good for you. Yes, yes, it was. Because I had to stop and realize that I'm weak and I can't. And he can. And we need that. My prayer is that you don't need to get sick for a a long week and a half to have that every year, but that on a regular basis, you would just come. Have, have a plan. We've talked about the Bible reading plan that's going to be mentioned afterward. There's a couple different options, whether you want to study it slowly through Scripture, whether you want to read through the whole Bible, or if you want to take there, There's a lot of different options. It's not, about, it's not about the options. It's about prioritizing time and just sitting before Christ reading his words slowly and letting him speak to you. Let him speak to you through his word. He will speak to you through his word. And each day doesn't have to be the same, friends. Can I have this in our head? Well, I've got, I've got to come up with a rhythm and a pattern in our life. Well, for those of you that do that, well, then do that. But most of us just don't. Like as much as I like to do things the same, I just don't do them the same. I don't at all do them the same every single day. I get up every day. That does happen every day. How much time we have can vary. Spend more time on your day off with Jesus. And you don't have to have three hours of prayer every morning. But pause and sit at the feet of the king. Whatever that looks like for you. And if you're not sure what that is, hey, I'd love to talk with you afterwards. Wes would love to talk with you. One of our small group leaders would love to talk with you. Let's just talk about what that looks like if you're not sure. But as we, as we point our hearts towards the king, we want to sit at the feet of Christ so that we can point our hearts towards the kingdom. Because as Alex finished in the middle of a sentence, and he opened his mouth and he taught them, saying, he taught them because he wanted to direct their hearts towards the kingdom. So we want to point our hearts towards the kingdom. We're not going to come 
uh, and have a beatdown of 50 imperatives. There's 50 commands. You're just like, oh, I think I'm going to watch online. I don't think I'm going to come. I'm going to be like, yeah, I've read that before. And, and this can be familiar to us, and they are commands we should respond to. And after we read them, and oftentimes after I read them, I just kind of feel like a pile of poo. Am I allowed to say that? I mean, like, you just feel like that. You guys have felt that, right? You've read it, you're just like, yep, that's not me. Maybe I'm not even a Christian. Because we're often aware of how we've fallen short. But Jesus invited his disciples to rethink every aspect of of their lives in light of the kingdom. He's painting a picture of the kingdom. He's painting a picture not of the things you do, but of the blessings that come from being in the kingdom. He starts right out of the gate with blessed. We're going to blessed are, blessed are, blessed are. We'll get into those in the coming weeks. Blessings, the blessings that come with the kingdom. There are blessings with the kingdom. And we are going to delight in those blessings. The sermon presents the beauty of Christ and a way of life that we're called to. And remember who he's teaching, a motley crew of guys that just don't have it together. I mean, you got fishermen, you got family. Whenever you get family hanging around together, that can, that can always be interesting, right? When brothers are hanging out. So he, it, it's messy, So yeah, we're part of the family. But they learn because they're watching Jesus and they're listening to Jesus. They're watching his life. And so let's walk together because the message of the Sermon on the Mount is a description of life in the kingdom, what it's supposed to look like and what God's growing us to be. It's not do this so you can enter the kingdom. It's not do this so that you can stay in the kingdom. It's not, do this so that God will like you. It's, hey, this is what the kingdom looks like. Let's enter into this. Point our hearts. Growth is a process. As I said before, the disciples still needed, they, they had some work to do. All you got to do is read through the rest of the Gospel of Matthew. Yep, yep, there was still work to be done after the message was preached. It is a process, but pointing your heart towards the kingdom will change you. It will change the way that you live. It will change the way that you pray. It'll change what you value. And this happened, has happened to saints in ages past, one of them being famous author C.S. Lewis. One commentator said this about him said C.S. Lewis became an atheist when he was 15 because, in his own words, he was very angry with God for not existing. But then later in life, at the age of 33, while a professor at Oxford, he came like an unwilling child, kicking and screaming into the kingdom of God. He was, in his own words, a reluctant convert to Christ, but a real one. He didn't want to become a Christian. But as he looked at the person and teachings of Jesus, he just didn't see another viable alternative. In the Trinity term of 1929, he wrote this, I gave in and admitted that God was God and knelt and prayed. That was C.S. Lewis's experience. That's our experience. As we look at the person 
and the teachings of Christ. We're going to say, what else is there? There's, there's nothing better. So let's look to Jesus as we come to this sermon. Let's delight in the kingdom. As we prepare our hearts to study the Sermon on the Mount, let's ask ourselves, is there, is there any sin in our life that's hindering us from following Christ? Even if you've trusted in Christ, let, let's ask that question. It doesn't hurt to ask that question because when we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So if there's something that we need to repent of, let's take it seriously. Let's grieve over it. Let's not run past it. Let's experience the joy of our salvation and forgiveness and let him change us. And let's ask the question, what steps can I take to sit at Jesus' feet? What's one step that you can take to sit at Jesus' feet. Because it's in the, in the context of sitting at his feet, of looking at his face, that the things of this world grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. We don't, we don't get to live on the mountain. The goal isn't to become a monk and just live far off away from everything. But we want to regularly get out of the stormy seas of life to just be with Jesus, hear what he has to say, and let him change us. I'm looking forward to studying the Sermon on the Mount to hear what Jesus has to say. Because as we hear what Jesus has to say, he's going to direct our hearts towards the wonder of being in his kingdom. Let's pray. Father, I thank you <clears throat> for, for Christ. And I ask, Lord, that you would work in us. Lord, if there, are, if there are, are areas in our life that are hindering us from following you, Lord, would you reveal that to us this morning? Would you reveal that to us each day when we come before you and and pray because I know you want to work in us to grow us and to conform us to the image of your son. Would we not push back against that, Lord? But would we embrace the conviction of your Holy Spirit knowing that we can experience the joy of our salvation and forgiveness? And I, I ask God that you would protect the saints here this morning. I pray that you would protect them against the schemes of the enemy who is going to lie to them as soon as they walk out the door. He's going to lie to them tomorrow morning and say there's something that's more important to do. I pray, Lord, that you fill us with your spirit and that by your grace we can sit at Jesus' feet and delight in him. I ask, God, that we would experience that to the glory and praise of your great name. We ask this in Jesus' name and all God's people said. Thank you for listening to the Harvest Lakeshore Sermon Podcast. Harvest Lakeshore exists to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission. For more information about us, visit harvestlakeshore.org.